0: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Cultural Podcast, a podcast about to Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you so, so much for listening. We've got three parts for you today. We're not going to review our match on Monday against Torino. We already covered that with our friend Vincenzo Bertillo on the latest episode of Forza Napoli Worldwide, so be sure to check that out if you haven't already. In part one, I'll review our latest Primavera match, which was a big one against Virtus Entella. In part two, we'll return to Serie A and check in on the battle for Champions League qualification. And in Part 3, we'll preview our match on Sunday against Cagliari. So let's start with the Primavera and our Round 19 match against Antella. This was a crucial match in our quest for a top 3 place in order to play in the promotion playoff. Heading into this match, Antella were in 3rd place on 31 points. That was 6 points clear of Spezia in 4th on 25 points. We were tied with Spezia on points, but they had a slightly better goal differential, so that put us in 5th place. However, Antella had played two games more than us, so theoretically, had we won those two games, we'd be tied with them on 31 points. So let's begin with the starting lineups. Antella lined up in a 4-3-1-2 with Thomas Pastina in goal. Alessio Gabarino and Stefano Reali started at center back. Gabriele Bazani started at left back and Matteo Maresca started at right back. Mateus Müller started in the center of the midfield with Alexandru Mogos to his left and Matteo Prosdocimi to his right. Finally, Federico Macca played as the trequartista in behind Leonardo Olivieri and Alejandro Mazzotta. Emmanuel Cascione made three changes to the squad that he fielded in our previous match against Spezia. Napoli lined up in a 4-4-2 with Huberi Dasiak in goal. Jonathan Spedalieri started over Oscar Guarino alongside Davide Costanzo at centre-back. Flavio Romano started at left-back and Vincenzo Potenza started at right-back. Antonio Virgilio and Brando Sami played in the centre of the midfield. Virgilio moved over to centre-left to play over Riccardo Cataldi, while Sami came back into the starting 11 to play centre-right. Similarly, Vincenzo Labriola returned to the starting 11 to play on the left-wing, so Antonio Cioffi moved over to the right-wing, relegating Antonio Vergara to the bench. Finally, the two Giuseppe Ambrosino and D'Agostino started together again up top. So those were the starting lineups. Next, let's get to the match. Napoli immediately went on the front foot. In the sixth minute, Potenza crossed to Ambrosino in the area. He controlled with his back to goal before laying the ball off to Trophy at the edge of the area. But his shot finished wide of the mark. Napoli continued to push forward. In the thirteenth minute, Labriola played a lovely ball in the ground to Trophy in front of the goal. Trophy ran into the ball and redirected it on target, but Pastina made the save. Ambrosino picked up the loose ball and was fouled by Pastina as he was turning, so a penalty kick was given. Cholfi fired confidently into the bottom corner, sending Pastina the other way to put Napoli ahead 1-0. Labriola nearly added a second in the 21st minute after D'Agostino laid the ball off to him at the edge of the area, but his bending effort curled just wide of the far post. D'Agostino thought he added a second in the 28th minute from a corner kick, Spedalieri won a header on a deep cross, and D'Agostino tapped in at the far post, but D'Agostino was in an offside position, so the goal did not count. And Tella nearly equalized a few minutes later, Maresca cut the ball back to Muller at the top of the box, but his shot hit the upright and stayed out. Maka picked up the rebound and fired on target, but Spedalieri cleared the ball off the line. That was Antella's first real chance of the match. The only other chance they had prior to that was a weak effort by Matsota shortly after the Trophy goal, which Idasiak stopped comfortably. Müller was really unlucky in this match. A few minutes later, Maka played an in-swinging corner kick. Müller rose up to win the header, but Idasiak got just enough of the ball to push it into the upright and out. So Müller hit the upright twice in the span of three minutes. Other than a weak shot by Potenza, neither side had any other scoring chances in the first half, which ended 1-0 for Napoli. Shortly after the restart, Trophy added his second of the match. Garberino blocked D'Agostino's pass and the ball spilled into the midfield. Trophy took two touches, then fired a stunning shot from 30 meters out past an outstretched Pastina and into the side netting, so Napoli were up 2 0. Napoli continued to push forward in the 52nd minute Virgilio dribbled past a couple of Intella players before shooting with his left towards the near post, but Pastina made the save there. Then in the 67th minute, Chofi played a gorgeous long ball for D'Agostino to run onto, which he did. D'Agostino had only the keeper to beat, but again Pastina closed down the angle and made the save. Pastina was very good in this match. He made another big save on the ensuing corner kick. Sami played an outswinging corner kick, which Ambrosino headed on target from the edge of the 6 yard box, but Pastina tipped the ball over the bar. Antella got their second real chance of the match in the 70th minute. Idacik spilled the Antella cross and was caught in no man's land. The ball fell for Prosdocimi, who got a shot on target, but Spedalietti again got a piece of the shot, and Costanzo cleared it off the line. Ten minutes later, Napoli put the game away. Sami dispossessed Carbonino at the top of the Antella box. He teed up Trophy on the left side of the area, and the Primavera player, who spent the most time with the senior team this season, completed his tripleta. He slotted his shot past Pestina into the bottom corner at the far post. Bruno Umile completed the poker only minutes after replacing Barba off the bench. Once again, Chofi was involved, this time picking up the assist. He passed to Umila at the top of the box from the left wing. Umile curled a gorgeous shot into the top corner at the far post to make the score 4-0, and that is how the match ended. This was a big, big result with the win. We pulled within three points of Entella for that coveted third place, and again, we still have two games in hand on Entella. We also got some help from Cosenza, who beat Spezia 2-1, so we are now three points clear of Spezia, and they no longer have any games in hand on us. As a reminder, the Primavera 2 consists of 2 groups of 12 teams, so the season is 22 games long. That means we have 6 games remaining to get into the top 3. Then, the teams that finish in 2nd and 3rd of each group will compete in a playoff to determine the 3rd promotion team, who will join the winners of each group in Primavera 1. So that will do for Part 1. In Part 2, we'll return to Serie A and check in on the race for Champions League qualification. Voglio far capire Ha Quando faccio repofrata facchi no merdosa Cosa 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 frata cosa Quando faccio repofrata capo narra raposa Cosa 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 frata cosa Quando faccio repofrata so pericolosa Cosa 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 frata cosa 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 frata cosa 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 frata cosa ti faccio capi fra quale problema Master chef fumar caivolino Goppo beat, certamente, spira tanti sentimento to boss book in front, to salvatore cont. Rate <makes> na <noise> mana <makes> pă-nășii, partă-ră-l-undană casă-mi, că-acă bărind o zonă și-aș-utam, frate-li, tu să-i mă <makes> cașpătam. En un miracălă pacient, signor, die-nă-mă-prezent, Fallă va chimota sta sent, dară-mă-meță-să-ră-lent. En un miracălă pacient, Next we'll recap some of the other matches from the round. I know it's a bit late in the week but hey, better late than never. Heading into this round, we were sitting in 5th place on 63 points. That was 3 points back of Milan in 2nd and 2 points back of Juventus and Atalanta in 3rd and 4th respectively. And Lazio were 5 points behind us in 6th with a game in hand. So let's start with Juventus who visited the Artemio Franchi to play Fiorentina. This was an intriguing match between one club fighting for Champions League qualification and another fighting for survival. Both were in favorable but not necessarily safe positions heading into this match. The commentator for this match had a couple of great nuggets in the opening remarks. Fiorentina were looking for their first double over Juventus in half a century. The last time they did that was in the 69-70 campaign. Also, this was Beppe Iacchini's 10th match coaching against Juventus. He had a record of 1 draw and 8 losses heading into this one, including a 7-0 defeat during his time at Sassuolo. So a Fiorentina win seemed highly unlikely, but I'm sure they were happy to walk away with a 1-1 draw. Dusan Vlahovic scored for Fiorentina while Alvaro Marata scored for Juve. It took Fiorentina about 15 minutes to find their feet, but when they did, they looked very threatening. In the 19th minute, Nikola Milankovic took a shot from well outside the area that required a good save from Wojtek Szczesny. Then two minutes later, Eric Pulgar had a shot from distance that took a big deflection off Giorgio Chiellini before hitting the upright and staying out. Moments after that, Dusan Vlahovic went down in the area and it looked as though Leonardo Bonucci stepped across Vlahovic and nudged him in the back, but Davide Massa did not give the penalty. Not only that, he said he would not visit the monitor to take a second look either. However, Fiorentina did get their penalty in the 27th minute. This time Massa did take a look after Adrian Rabiot handled the ball in the area. The review took a while for what appeared to be an obvious penalty, but I imagine the discussion was whether the ball hit Rabiot's head before it hit his arm. In any event, the penalty was given. Even if you thought that wasn't a penalty, one penalty between those two incidents did seem fair to me. Vlahovic stepped up and showed what confidence he's playing with at the moment, scoring with a Panenka, and then he celebrated the goal with a mild version of what Fiorentina legend Luca Toni used to do when he celebrated his goals. Juventus made their own claim for a penalty about five minutes before the break for a foul by Petzela and Matthijs Stelicht. Juve got their best chance of the half only minutes before the half with Rodrigo Bentancur playing Aaron Ramsey through, but his sliding effort just missed the far post. Credit to Andrea Pirlo, he made two substitutes and changed his system at the half. He replaced Paulo Dybala with Alvaro Morata. Dybala was really quiet in the first half, so that change made a lot of sense. The other change was Dan Kulusevski for Bonucci, which allowed Pirlo to switch to a 4-3-3. The wingbacks, Alexandra and Juan Cuadrado, dropped into fullback roles, and Kulusevski played on the right wing. Those changes paid immediate dividends. Only 31 seconds into the half, Morata scored the equalizer. Cuadrado played a long ball to Morata on the right wing. He controlled the ball, cut into his left foot, and put a curling shot around Dragovski, who got a finger to the ball but not enough to keep it out. Fiorentina responded well though. In fact, the next 20 minutes or so was pretty back and forth. Pulgar had a low hard shot from outside the area stopped by Chesney. Back the other way, Chiellini had a chance after Cuadrado crossed to the back post, but for some reason Chiellini tried to head the ball back into the danger area instead of on target and nothing came of it. Cristiano Ronaldo had a glorious chance late in the match, after Kulusevski crossed the ball to Ronaldo at the far post, Ronaldo is usually fantastic in the air, but he mistimed his jump on what would have otherwise been a sure goal. So this match finished 1-1. For the second time this season, Ronaldo has had a stretch of three league games without a goal. That hasn't happened since his final two seasons with Real Madrid. Moving on, Atalanta beat Bologna 5-0 on goals from five different goal scorers. Ruslan Malinowski, Luis Muriel, Remo Freuler, Duvan Zapata, and even Alexei Maranchuk scored for Atalanta. You wouldn't have expected that result with the way this match started. I thought Bologna were actually the better side for the first 20 minutes of the match. They created two excellent scoring chances for Andreas Skowalsson. The first came in the 9th minute after Hans Hattabor's pass was intercepted by Jeremy Schouten. Hattabor was making his first appearance since January 23rd after picking up an ankle injury. Schouten broke with Soriano who played the ball out wide to Skowalsson. He dribbled past Brad City and was 1v1 with Golini but the keeper made the save. Only a few minutes later, Golini foiled Skowolson again, stopping the shot from distance that was dipping towards the bottom corner. Atalanta were getting their chances too, but Bologna were getting bodies in front of their shots. It took a bit of magic for Atalanta to break through. Luis Muriel played a gorgeous little back heel to Malinowski who fired into the bottom corner to give Atalanta the 1-0 lead. That goal really took the wind out of Bologna's sails, Atalanta dominated for the rest of the match, Muriel nearly doubled Atalanta's lead a few minutes later, he slalomed in and out to dribble past Valentin Antov and Adama Sumauro before firing into the upright, Muriel would eventually double Atalanta's lead just before the break, Danilo pulled down Christian Romero in the area on an Atalanta corner kick and the penalty was given. Muriel caught Skorupski leaning the wrong way and calmly scored a much-deserved goal. So Atalanta took a 2-0 lead into the break, but there was still hope for Bologna. The last time these two teams met, Atalanta took a 2-goal lead into the break, and that match ended 2-2. That hope vanished pretty quickly, though. Not even five minutes into the second half, Shelton was shown a straight red for a reckless tackle on Romero. Michael Fabri immediately took out the red, and he was absolutely right in his decision. It's hard enough to stop Atalanta's attack at full strength. With an extra man, Atalanta are virtually unstoppable. Add to that mistakes like the one Matthias Vanberg made in the lead up to Freuler's goal and this match quickly got out of hand. Duban Zapata scored his 14th of the season only minutes later. Malinovsky assisted that goal so he now has 4 goals and 6 assists in his last 6 matches. Finally, Miranchuk added the 5th goal off the bench. Finally, the best home team in 2021, Lazio, played against the best away team, Milan, on Monday. The home team walked away with a 3-0 victory on goals from Joaquin Correa and Ciro Immobile. With Zlatan Ibrahimović still out for Milan, Stefano Pioli started Mario Mandzukic at striker. Meanwhile, Simone Inzaghi was back on the touchline for Lazio after recovering from covid this was an entertaining match, and with Daniela Orzato officiating, you knew there was going to be some controversy. Mandzukic was involved right from the opening kickoff. He played a lovely back return pass to Hakan Chalonoglu, who fired low and hard, but Pepe Reina made the save. Lazio responded immediately. Ismail Benazir failed to head the ball out, and Correa pounced on the ball Immobile played a gorgeous through ball to Correa who dribbled around Donnarumma before gently guiding the ball into the empty goal. His first touch was actually too soft and it looked like the ball got caught between his feet, but Correa did really well to keep his composure and ultimately got his goal under 2 minutes into the match. Lazio nearly doubled their lead only minutes later after the ball fell for Immobile after a Luis Alberto free kick. Immobile had only Donnarumma to beat, but the Milan keeper showed why he's asking for a salary increase getting down to make the save. Both Immobile and Correa were feeling it in this match. Both were struggling until a few matches ago against Benevento, then they both scored in that match, and that seems to have restored their confidence. In the fifth minute, Correa made a gorgeous backheel turn, very similar to one Zelensky made before setting a Mertens goal against Lazio. Correa went down in the area with Fikayo Tomori defending him, but Orzato did not award the penalty, and he lived up to his reputation there of being a referee who does not give a lot of penalties. After that, Lazio were content to let Milan have the ball while they waited for opportunities to strike on the counterattack. That strategy worked quite well, though Milan did get their chances. Hakan seemed to be involved in everything positive that Milan did, but he's not the clinical finisher that Ibrahimovic is. It was he who had Milan's next big chance in the 31st minute. Alexis Salamakras picked out Hakan's run at the top of the box. He calmly dribbled around the slide tackle of Adam Matosic to create the shot, but once again... Reyna was up to the task. With Milan committing bodies forward, they did expose themselves at the back. Lazio are very strong on the counter and only minutes before the break, Lazzari scored the second. Correa fed the pacey winger who outran Simon Kair and Teo Hernandez before firing underneath Donnarumma and into the back of the goal. Unfortunately for Laziali, Lazzari was slightly ahead of Correa when the Argentinian played him through, so the goal was ruled off by VAR for offside. Again, Milan responded well. Again, it was Mandzukic setting up Hakan this time for the volley, but once again, Reyna made the save. Reyna was heavily criticized for his performance against Napoli, but I thought he responded really well in this match. A lot of Milan's shots were straight at him, but he made the saves he needed to make. He was also very brave, coming off his line a couple of times to win the ball with players like Frank Kessie barreling in on goal. That's exactly what happened five minutes into the second half, and shortly after that, Lazio scored their second goal. Luis Alberto played a gorgeous long ball to Correa at the edge of the area. The Argentinian dribbled around Tomori before blasting his shot into the top corner. Correa made a great play there, but I do feel like Tomori's form has dropped off a little since his early days at Milan when he was very impressive. Now, this was one of the controversial plays in the match. Right before Alberto played the pass to Correa, Lucas Leiva clearly fouled Hakan, but the foul wasn't called. VAR looked at the play in communication with Orzato, then Orzato pointed to the center of the field as if to indicate that the goal was given, then he blew his whistle and signaled that he was going to visit the monitor, Orzato barely spent 5 seconds at the monitor and then confirmed the goal. My best guess is that he determined that Hakan no longer had control of the ball and in fact he stepped in front of Leva. My opinion is that neither had the ball, Leva made an attempt at the ball and followed straight through Hakan so I think that was a foul. It was a rather bizarre series of events, but after all of that, Lazio were still up 2-0. Lazio nearly went up 3-0 shortly after that, again from Korea on the counter-attack, and again Donnarumma got down to make the save. Lazio executed Simone Inzaghi's plan to perfection, though. This was basically the Corea and Immobile show with cameos from Lazeri, Alberto, and Sergei Milinkovic Savage. In the 80th minute, Alberto played Immobile, and he played an audacious chip from the edge of the area that beat Donnarumma, but not the upright. Once again, it was Tomori marking Immobile there. Immobile did get his goal though in the 87th minute and it was certainly well deserved. This may have been the only attack from Lazio that actually involved a build-up. The finish from Immobile was pure class. He received the pass from Lazeri, had a quick look up, and fired a rocket off the upright and into the back of the goal. Meanwhile, Milan's attack was rather lackluster. Other than Hakka, no one else really stood out to me. Mandzukic, Ante Rebic, and Rafael Leao, who came off the bench, were all very quiet. Frank Kessie did hit the bar with a header in the final minute of normal time, but by that point, the match was already over. So this was another great round for Napoli. As you know, we beat Torino 2-0. With Milan and Juve dropping points, the battle for Champions League qualification only got tighter. Atalanta overtook Milan for second in the table and we are now tied with Milan and Juve on 66 points. Technically, we are in third because the tiebreak in a three-way tie is total points in head-to-head matches between the three teams involved, and Milan and Juve have yet to play their return fixture against each other. Meanwhile, Lazio are five points behind that cluster, but they still have a game in hand against Torino. If Lazio win that, they'd be only two points behind the pack, so they are very much alive in the race as well. We have five games remaining in the season, and there are some pretty juicy matchups still. Juve still have to play Milan, which is not far off. They also have to play Inter, but by then, Inter should have the Scudetto wrapped up, so that may be an easier match in practice than it looks like on paper. Atalanta and Milan play each other on the final day of the season, so that has the potential to be a massive game as well. Lazio have a fairly easy run-in, but they have to play one extra game, meaning they will play five games over a two-week period, which is never easy. Just as a reminder, we have Cagliari next, followed by Spezia. Then we have a midweek fixture against Udinese, and we close the season with Fiorentina and Hellas Verona. So, on paper, we are favorites to finish in the top 4, but of course, it's never that easy. Some of the teams we have to play are fighting for survival, including Cagliari. We'll preview that match in part (laughs) 3. musola amara Napoli non è carta sporca e nessuno fa morire Napoli tutto in part three we'll preview our match on sunday against kalyari this is our second consecutive match against the club fighting for survival kalyari have found their form just in the nick of time they've won three matches in a row which is the first time they've done that all season At one point this season, Cagliari had a run of 16 matches without a win, during which they picked up only 5 points. Thankfully for Cagliari, Torino have also had a disastrous season, so they've always been within reach. But as of match day 30, Cagliari were in the final relegation spot, 5 points back of Torino and 8 points back of Benevento. With this recent run of form and Benevento's complete and utter collapse, Cagliari have fought their way out of the relegation zone, but they are far from safe. They are currently tied with Torino and Benevento on 31 points. The way Benevento are playing, it seems they will be joining Parma and Crotone on the trip back to Serie B, but Cagliari have plenty of work to do. Despite their position in the table, this Cagliari team has plenty of quality and must be taken seriously. Let's not forget this is largely the same team that had a 13 game unbeaten streak last season and were sitting in a Champions League place through 15 rounds. It's really quite shocking that a team that boasts the likes of Alessio Cranio, Diego Godin, Nahita Hernandez and Joao Pedro are fighting for survival. Credit to Leonardo Semplici, he has this team clicking right now. Even after conceding an early goal to Roma, they looked confident, they looked like a team that knew they could not just get a result in that game, but also a win against a vulnerable Roma side that was actually the first time Cagliari beat Roma in the last eight years. Now, Cagliari could be without a couple of players in this match. They'll definitely be without Razvan Marin. He is suspended for a yellow card accumulation after picking up a booking against Roma. They could also be without left wing back carlampos de Coyanis. He pulled up in the Roma game with what appeared to be a muscle injury, so he may not be fit to play. Both of them would be big losses in the midfield. Marin has scored two big goals in the last three matches first in Cagliari's come from behind win against Parma, and then he scored the game winner against Roma. Both were excellent strikes from outside the area. Lico Giannis is also a very good player, and he's a free-kick specialist, so that would be a big loss as well. So with that, let's get to the starting lineups. Since Cagliari sacked Eusebio Di Francesco and replaced him with Semplici, Cagliari have played in a 3-5-2, at least until their very last match against Roma, where they used a 3-4-1-2, which is pretty similar Guglielmo Vicario has started the last 4 matches in goal with Alessio Cranio still recovering from COVID and all indications are that Vicario will start again. I've actually been very impressed with his play, at 24 he's not young but he's not old either, however this has been his first action in Serie A after spending the last 2 seasons on loan in Serie B, first with Venezia and then with Perugia. Semplici's preferred back 3 include Andrea Carboni in the middle with Godin at centre left and Luca Cepitelli at centre right. I think we'll see the 3-5-2 here. Cagliari have a number of solid options at wing back. I think we'll see the same pair that we saw in the Roma game with Licoyanis at left wing back and Nandez at right wing back. If Lico Giannis is not fit to play, then we could see Quadu Asamoa play in his place, or we could see Nandez move over to the left and Gabriela Zappa come off the bench to play on the right. With Marin out, I think we'll see Alessandro Deola play in the center of the midfield with Raja Nengolan to his left and Alfred Duncan to his right. Finally, I think we'll see a front two of João Pedro and Leonardo Pavoletti. Now, if Cagliari used the 3-4-1-2, one of Ningolan and Duncan would probably drop to the bench, João Pedro would play as the trequartista, and Giovanni Simeone would play up top with Pavoletti. For Napoli, Gennaro Gattuso will line up in his usual 4-2-3-1. David Ospina is still training in the gym, so we should see Alex Meret start again in goal. Costas Manolas returns from his suspension, so he will likely start alongside Kalidou Koulibaly at center back. El Cid Hisai had a solid game against Torino, so I think he'll be rewarded with another start here. Giovanni Di Lorenzo will start again at right back. All indications are that Fabian is fit to return to the starting 11, so I have him starting with Diego Demme in the double pivot. Lorenzo Insigne will start on the left wing. Matteo Politano wasn't great against Torino, so I think we're going to see Chuki Lozano come back into the starting 11 to play on the right wing. Finally, I think we'll see Piotr Zielinski in the 10th spot, in behind Victor Osiman up top. So those were the starting lineups. Next, let's get to our three keys to the match. Our first key to the match is that we need to win the aerial duels particularly when Cagliari is in the attack. This is especially concerning if Cagliari play in a 3-4-1-2 with Simeone and Pavoletti together up top. They also have Alberto Cerri on the bench who has a similar profile. All three are very good in the air, as we saw in the Parma game. João Pedro is excellent in the air as well. Not only do we want to win the aerial battle, but we also want to limit Caliari's crosses. That doesn't necessarily mean we want to force Caliari to play in the middle of the field. Nangolan is a bit of a wild card in the midfield with a cannon of a shot, so it's okay to let Caliari play the ball out wide, but we will want to get in the way of those crosses. Our second key to the match is we should take advantage of our pace up top, and we should use the space that Caliari give us. Cagliari play a relatively open game, they don't sit back and defend, that means there will be lots of space for us to exploit. If we start both Loseman and Lozano, we'll have plenty of pace in the lineup. I think they both match up very well against Diego Godin, who is an experienced veteran, but he's also 35 years of age. If Lico Giannis doesn't play, I think this could be a big opportunity for Lozano. The third key to the match is we cannot relent. Even though we missed a ton of chances against Torino, that was a rare match where we picked up an early lead and the win never seemed in doubt. That's because we just kept on attacking and in doing so Torino could barely keep hold of the ball let alone create chances to score. We'll need to do the same thing again against a Cagliari side that has plenty of fight in them. We've seen that in all three of Cagliari's recent wins. Against Parma they fell behind 2-0 and 3-1 and fought all the way back for the win. Against Udinese, João Pedro had a gorgeous goal disallowed but they continued to fight and eventually won on a penalty kick. Then last weekend against Roma, they conceded the early goal but again fought back for a much deserved win. So first of all we need to get out front and then we have to keep pushing. The head official for this match is Michael Fabri. He's officiated six Napoli matches dating back to 2017. Napoli have two wins, three draws, and one loss in those six matches. He'll be assisted by Filippo Valiarani and Emilio Vivenzi. The fourth official is Antonio Di Martino, and Paolo Mazzoleni is on the VAR, assisted by Alessandro Gialatini. For my prediction, I'm going to go with a 3-1 Napoli win. I'll give the goals to Lorenzo Insigne, Dries Mertens, and Chucky Lozano. I'm specifically giving the goals to Insigne and Mertens because both have a chance to make history here. For Insigne, one goal would tie his personal best of 18 goals in a single Serie A campaign, and of course two goals would break that record. For Mertens, he's currently tied with Antonio Voyak on 102 goals for Napoli and Serie A, so a goal here would make him the outright leader. The last time these two sides met, we got a big 4-1 win. Zielinski scored two beautiful goals in that match, and Insigne and Lozano scored the others. That was the one win we got during our stretch of poor form where we had lost to Inter, lost to Alazio, just barely tied Udinese, and then after Cagliari, we lost to Spezia. But we have to be careful we don't take this match for granted. That match was in the middle of Cagliari's winless streak while they were still coached by Giuseppe Di Francesco, and they also picked up a red card in the match. So that will do for this preview. I hope you enjoy the game. That will also do it for this episode. If you liked what you heard, please share it with a friend and give us a 5-star rating on your favorite podcast platform. As always, if you need to get a hold of me, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore 5 or you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pod. We'll be back with another episode of ForzaNopoly Worldwide next week to review the Coyote game, so keep an eye out for that. But until then... I'm Joe Fischetti. Forza Napoli sempre! and si fluye, el está, el está. El nun te coria a piezo, nun te fluye, sur la